Thank you so much, Church. Great to be with you. Really good to be with you, watching at home as well. And so good to be able to celebrate with Ahmed and Eva and Richard and Nancy as they dedicate their children this morning. Now, one of the things that my kids have always enjoyed is being upside down. We have three kids, and I've done this with them ever since they were small. I've flipped them over and carried them around, dangling upside down. It's becoming a little bit more challenging with our 11-year-old. But I asked one of them the other day, doesn't it feel weird being upside down? And they said to me, I love it. You get to see things the other way up. Well, as we continue our journey through Luke's gospel today, looking at the king and his kingdom, the topic today is the upside down kingdom. We're going to look at a passage where Jesus is talking about what it is to be valued in the kingdom of God. And we'll see that things that we tend to accept as normal and things that we accept as part and parcel of our world, or Jesus turns them completely on their head. And my prayer for all of us today is that as we explore this passage and think about what it means for our own lives, that we would experience the joy and the freedom of living upside down lives. So let's get straight in. We're in Luke chapter 6, verses 17 to 26. If you've got a Bible, you can follow along. If not, don't worry, the words will come up on the screen behind me. So it's Luke 6, verses 17 to 26. It says this. He went down with them, that's Jesus, Jesus went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples... He said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you've already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Let's pray together, church. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for your presence. And we thank you for this teaching. And I ask, Lord, that you'd help us to explore this and understand it. And I pray that as we do, Lord, you draw us close to you, that you'd fill us with your spirit and you draw us near to you. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, the Sea of Galilee in the north of Israel, is surrounded by mountains. And it's likely that it was in these mountains that this teaching took place. Jesus had spent the night in prayer, and he comes down to a level place to teach. And it's clear that Jesus' fame and popularity are growing here. People have walked for miles to be near him. And it's this real mix of people. You've got a growing number of Jesus' disciples there. 
But there's also this great multitude of people who've come from places like Tyre and Sidon on the northwest coast, and also from Jerusalem in the south. And many of these people don't seem to be Jesus' followers, but they've been drawn by his power. Word seems to have got around about this rabbi with power to heal the sick and cast out demons. And they want to get close to him, to touch him. People are always drawn to the spectacular and the powerful. And it's in this context where, Jesus, where people have come to receive from Jesus that he looks at his disciples and begins to teach them. And there's no getting away from it. This is challenging teaching. Now, commentators are divided about whether this is the same sermon that's recorded in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel, or whether it's a different time where Jesus preached a similar message. The challenging thing with this version, of course, is that while Matthew talks about the blessings, here you get the woes as well. And Jesus did this. He never just said things that people wanted to hear. No, Jesus stops you in your tracks. Jesus says things that can unsettle you and make you feel uncomfortable, angry even sometimes. If your view of Jesus is just of a nice man who said nice things, it doesn't stack up against passages like this. Do you know, if we're looking for comfort, we will find it with Jesus, but often not in the way we expect. So what do we do with what Jesus says? Well, the question I really want to explore today is what does a blessed life really look like? Not just then, more than 2,000 years ago, but now in Buckinghamshire in 2021. As we pray for Ahmed and Eva and Richard and Nancy, as we make promises to them and their children, what kind of life do we want for those children? And what kind of life do we want for ourselves? What are we building our lives on? Because if there's one thing that's clear from Jesus' teaching, it's this, that the way God sees things is totally different to the way we tend to see things. So we're going to look at two things this morning. And the first is this, what does right-side-up living look like? Right-side-up living. See, Every kingdom has things that it values and holds in high esteem, things that it treasures, and other things that it considers small and insignificant and worthless, things that are despised. And we experience this from a really young age. I remember well that feeling of being lined up against a wall at school as two captains picked their football teams and seeing the most skillful, the strongest, the most popular kids chosen first. And I know you'll find this hard to believe, but I was skinny and accident-prone and, and waiting to be chosen, just, just thinking, just please don't pick me last. In our world, things like popularity and power and success, these things are treasured and esteemed. And we see things, this in all kinds of ways, don't we? In the kinds of people that we celebrate and put on a pedestal and look up to as doing well in life, but also in our own lives, in the kind of things that we go after. Things like academic success and promotion at work, a growing following on social media. In all kinds of ways, our world trains us and teaches us that if we can just get these things, if we can just grab hold of these things, then we'll have a blessed life. And you know, in lots of ways, of course, that makes complete sense because if this world is all there is, then investing in these things is natural because they deliver in the now. If people speak well of me, If they tell me I've preached well, well, I like that. That fuels my ego. It makes me feel good. If I get a promotion at work, well, that might mean more power. If I look around at my decent-sized home and nice food in the cupboards, well, it might look to all the world that I'm winning. But what about from a kingdom perspective? 
Jesus says, woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are well-fed now. Woe to you who laugh now. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. And it's almost like we've spent time building up this tower and Jesus just walks in and just topples the lot. And we can think, Jesus, what are you doing? I spent ages building that. What is Jesus doing? Is Jesus saying that actually all these things that we think of as good things are bad things? Is he saying that we should never strive for success? Is he condemning everyone who has a good reputation? Is he ruling out all joy and laughter? Well, no. Wealth, comfort, joy, popularity, these things aren't inherently bad in themselves. In fact, God often blesses us with these things. Every good gift that we have is a gift from our Heavenly Father who loves to shower blessings on his children. So what is Jesus saying? When Jesus says, woe to you who laugh, the word for laughter doesn't mean laughter in a good way. He's not condemning joy in and of itself. Do you know, our God is the most joyful being in existence. There's a line in Psalm 16 that says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. He's a God of joy. But Jesus is talking here about a particular kind of laugh, a mocking laugh. This is a condescending, boastful laugh of a complacent winner over a loser. What Jesus is condemning here is the tendency that we have to delight in, to treasure the things of this world, to set our hearts on these things, to become caught up in them and consumed by them. Jesus isn't pronouncing woe on all rich people or all happy people or all popular people, but he is warning us about the danger of holding earthly things in such high esteem that we elevate them above God to become so consumed by what people think of us that we'll do anything for a good reputation, to become so caught up in winning that it drives everything that we do, that it's always about the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, that it controls us. And you know, often what is treasured in the world has little value in the kingdom of God. Jesus says, Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. In other words, if you build your life on and set your heart on these earthly things, well, you might well get them. They might deliver in the now, but it's all you'll get. I think it was the the monk Thomas Merton who once said, people may spend their whole lives climbing the ladder of success, only to find once they reach the top that the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. So how do we know if we're depending too much on these worldly things? Well, what happens when they're taken away? If you miss out on an opportunity at work, maybe given to someone younger and less experienced than you, does it knock you a bit or does it break you? When a friend snubs you on social media or lets you down, how much does it affect you? How much weight do we put on these worldly things? See, if this world is all there is, then valuing and treasuring earthly things is natural. But what if this world is not all there is? You know, when Jesus came down the mountain healing the sick and saying the things that he said, he was demonstrating that a new kingdom had come and that the old kingdom was fading away. And if this is true, well, then it makes no sense at all to put all our investment and weight on earthly things because they're temporary. No one buys stock in a company that's about to go bankrupt. No one gets on a ship that's sinking. If we build everything on our reputation, then one day the people who think highly of us now will move on. If we build everything on our wealth, it will dry up. If we stake everything on success, one day we'll look around and notice it's all gone. 
We've seen this in the last year, even haven't we? The events of this year, how things that once seemed so rock solid have suddenly seemed so shaky and so fragile. Do you know, when Jesus pronounces these woes, depending on where we're at in life, we can hear this as a stinging criticism, but hear the Father's heart in this. There's kindness in this. There's freedom in this. Jesus is saying there's another way to live. It's a life with greater depth and with genuine riches and blessings, the kind of life that we were made for. So what does upside-down living look like? Well, it's clear that God's economy is totally different to ours. And often what the world despises, the Father treasures. Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, what he's not saying here is that poverty itself is a blessing. He's not suggesting that discomfort and grief and exclusion, that these things are blessings in themselves. And it's important that we get that. See, Jesus alleviated pain and suffering. He did. We see this right at the start of that passage. He came to heal and to make people well. He's, he's, he's not saying that those things are good things in themselves. But he's talking here to his disciples. It's blessed are you who are poor, but who are putting your trust in me. In other words, you might be poor by the world's standards. You might be small in the world's eyes, but you have riches beyond this world that no earthly situation can affect You have eternal treasure that can never, ever be taken away. It says in 1 Peter 1, In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. True blessing is to know Jesus, who is eternal and who never changes. It's to know that we're sons and daughters loved by God and adopted into his family. That's what it is to be blessed. To know that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. No hardship or persecution or famine. We have eternal blessings. See, our world teaches us that we need all kinds of things to be blessed. But to be blessed is to have him. The blessing is Jesus himself. So how does that change the way that we live? Well, actually, it changes everything. Because if we're building our lives on the foundation of knowing that we're already loved, rather than trying to prove ourselves, it will change what and who we place value on. It will change how we invest our time and our energy and our money. It might even mean that we do things that, from the world's perspective, look a bit weird. I was thinking this the other day about Azalea. You know, every Tuesday night, our Azalea outreach team goes out into the dark and the wet in Desborough, looking for women working on the streets so they can love them and pray for them. Do you know, by the world's standards, that is bonkers. But in the kingdom, it is wonderful because they're placing value and honour on people who the world has written off. And what the world despises, the Father treasures. In a few weeks' time, we've got another gift day. Do you know, our last gift day, together as a church, we gave £95,000. £95,000! And, you know, most of that money has been given away to buy land to build a new church building in Kathmandu in Nepal. And people outside the church look at that and say, how much? What do you do with that money? See, this looks foolish in the world's eyes. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 
God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. See, to be a follower of Jesus is to have a total reversal of values. It's to have the freedom to question and suspect the things that the world treasures and to find treasure in the things the world despises. It's to be able to enjoy success when it comes, but to recognise that it's not the be-all and end-all. To be able to enjoy popularity, but to know that it doesn't change our standing at all before God. It's to be able to enjoy what God has given us, but all the while to recognise that what we have, we have only because of the grace of God alone. And it's to be able to give generously of our time, our money and our words, knowing that we have eternal riches, eternal blessings that the world cannot touch. And you know, perhaps Jesus is teaching us more in this passage too. For the Christian, there is treasure to be found in the most unexpected of places. See, Jesus isn't saying we should go after suffering and hardship and grief, that these things are somehow blessings in themselves. But actually, when they do come, in the kingdom of God, even these things can be redeemed. Even in hardship, there is hope and opportunity. In his book, A Grace Disguised, Jerry Sitzer talks painfully about suffering. Here was a man who experienced loss on a catastrophic scale. In one tragic accident, he lost his mum, his wife, and his young daughter, three people he loved taken in a moment. And some of you here or watching at home might have experienced hardship in life like this, greater pain than I have experienced, where the events of life have hit you hard and shocked you. Well, in his book, Jerry Sitzer writes about the depths he went to and the journey he went on with God. And he writes this, the experience of loss does not have to be the defining moment in our lives. Instead, the defining moment can be our response to the loss. It is not what happens to us that matters so much as what happens in us. You know, even in our greatest suffering, God is at work growing us and changing us. And when I look back on my own life, what I'm learning is that it's the times of hardship, perhaps more than the times of success, that draw me closest to Jesus. We don't want these things. No one does. But maybe in a way that nothing else can, it's the trials that we go through that awaken us most to the truth of how loved we are. When we realise, often through tears and through pain, that in all things, God is good. Why can the Christian have hope even in hardship? Because this world is not all there is. This is not the end point. So if you are facing hardship right now, I want to encourage you that God wants to meet you in your suffering. If you're a Christian, to know that nothing can separate you from the love of God, that you have eternal riches beyond this world. And if you don't know Jesus, you can ask him to reveal to you who he is in your hardship. But this world is not all there is. And a day is coming when God will wipe away every tear from our eye. And in that day, there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away. And we will know eternal joy with Jesus. And some of the things that are prized now will lose their shine in that day. 
And some of the things that are considered lowly and worthless in this world will be honoured and treasured in that day. And I have a sense that in that day we'll realise that it was the kingdom of the world that was upside down. And it was the kingdom of God that was the right way up all along. So finally, how do we live like this? When all the world seems to be going the other way, where do we find the power to live an upside down life? Well, it's only through the cross. Because, you know, we have a God who knows and understands what it is to suffer, to be despised and rejected. The cross was the greatest reversal of all. And there Jesus was betrayed and insulted and spat at. Grief, suffering, sacrifice, exclusion, Jesus faced them all. And at the cross, the one who spoke the universe into being, the eternal, all-powerful king, he made himself nothing. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Jesus became poor so that you could know eternal riches and just as power was coming out from Jesus as he healed the sick on the mountain today power is available to you the church through the Holy Spirit to live the upside down life of the kingdom what does a blessed life look like in Buckinghamshire in 2021 what do we want for these children being dedicated today what kind of life do we want for ourselves what well, Jesus invites us not to cling to the temporary, fragile things of this world, but to come to him, to get close to him, and to build our lives on an eternal foundation that nothing, that nothing can shake. Amen? Amen. Amen.